What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. The book of Exodus is a book about how God led the Israelites out of the bondage of the Egyptians. It's a unique story of how God can turn evil around for good. But did you know the book of Exodus really doesn't begin in Exodus chapter 1? It actually begins back in the life of Joseph, when Joseph's brothers were very jealous and envious of, I guess, the favoritism their father had towards him, and they went and sold him off to some Midianite merchant men. And ultimately, he finds himself in Potiphar's house, and there he's falsely accused and thrown in prison. And then, finally, he interprets a dream And he is one of the leaders, key leaders, of the Egyptian kingdom. And we know that that story would eventually lead to the death of Joseph and another Pharaoh arising who did not know the Hebrews, didn't know the Israelites like the previous ones did, and would ultimately force these Israelites into hard labor and slavery. And then, as we read in the first couple chapters of Exodus, God would raise up a man by the name of Moses, and he would become a deliverer for the people of Israel. How he would lead his people, God's people, out of Egypt from that bondage and to go into the wilderness journey. You know the story about how Aaron and Moses walked into the palace of Pharaoh and said, Thus saith the Lord, and and if you don't let your people go, the the blood is going to come, the frogs are going to come, the lice are going to come, the flies, the livestock, the boils, the hail, the locusts, the darkness, and the death of the firstborn. Finally, Pharaoh releases after the death of the firstborn, and there, 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 the, the two and a half million Israelites are marching, marching, and marching, and marching through this wilderness journey, and they get up to the Red Sea, and there, they're trapped. They look behind them, and there, Pharaoh and his army is coming. And God sends a strong east wind, and you know the story. The Red Sea is parted. The Israelites walk across the dry land, and Pharaoh and his army are swallowed up in the sea. We call this the first Exodus. But it's so interesting that when you study the book of Exodus and you study the book of Revelation, how parallel they are. You see, God released his plagues of judgment upon the Egyptians, and we see that chapter 15 of the book of Revelation is the introduction chapter to the final seven plagues that God is going to unleash upon the world. But right after the people of Israel marched over the Red Sea, Exodus chapter 15 speaks about how they gathered together and they sang a song. And we call this song the Song of Moses. Scholars are at debate about if 
which song exactly is being mentioned here. It could be Exodus chapter 15. It could be Deuteronomy 32. But in Exodus chapter 15, right after the Israelites marched over the Red Sea and saw their enemies defeated, they literally sang these words, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. And then he says in verse 2, The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him an habitation, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. As we think about this chapter, as we think about all these events, many have labeled Exodus, excuse me, Revelation 15 as the final and last exodus of God's people being held in the captivity of the nations of this world to the blissful kingdom of God. As I was meditating here in chapter 15, I thought of this phrase, there will be a day. And that is the title of the message today. There will be a day. As I begin to think about what is the theme of Revelation chapter 15, I thought that this summarizes the entirety of these eight verses. And if you walk away with anything today, this is the one thought that I'd like for you to leave with. One day, God's providential plan will be accomplished in the sight of every man. One day, God's providential plan will be accomplished in the sight of every man. My friends, we see that in chapter 15 of the book of Revelation that God is still on his heavenly throne. Remember, the theme of the book of Revelation is the sovereign king is coming to judge this world. And we see that God has never ceased to be on his throne even in our day today. What are... God's providential plans from Revelation chapter 15, you might ask. Well, I want to share with you three parts of God's plans from this chapter. In verse number one, I want to share this first thought with you. The first part of God's providential plan is this, part A. There will be a day when God's furious wrath will be completed. There will be a day when God's furious wrath will be completed. Remember in 2 Peter chapter 3, the Bible speaks about how God's patience and long-suffering is towards humanity and that God is not willing that any should perish but all come to repentance. Right now in this hour that we're living in, we are living in the age of grace, of course, but also the age of God's long-suffering and patience. God's wrath hasn't been thundered down upon this world just yet. And so we still, still have time to go out and share the good news. But until then, we are called to warn the world and warn the lost and warn this age that, that there will be a day when God's furious wrath will come to completion. Notice verse number one. The Bible says, and I saw. Now remember in the book of Revelation, when John says these words, it's a transitional phrase that he had his, fix, he had his eyes gaze upon something else, but now he's fixing his focus uh, towards something else. And we see that the Bible says, and John saw another sign in heaven. The Bible says this sign is great and marvelous. He sees seven angels here having are holding the seven last plagues. This word last is the same where we get eschatology from. That is the doctrine of last things, or our Bible prophecy, the end times. And then it says, for in them is filled up the wrath 
of God. We know that later on these seven plagues are seven bowls or seven vials as the King James says and they're kind of like bowls that you would put uh, cereal or fruit in and, and here we see that these angels are having these bowls and which ultimately is going to contain the seven final plagues and judgments of God. So in other words he's saying that these bowls, these plagues are full of God's wrath. As I think about this I think about from chapter 6 all the way till chapter 19, we're going to see the judgment of God poured out upon humanity. The seven seals, the seven trumpets, and now we're getting into the seven bowls. And so the day of God's wrath is completed. The day God's wrath is completed will be a day of consummation. So really... The day that God spoke the world into existence and sent his son to live a sinless life and died on Calvary's cross and ascended up from that day, we see that God's wrath is ultimately going to be consummated here in this scene in the book of Revelation. That God's whole plan is extending grace for all these thousands of years to humanity so that one day his patience will be removed and his wrath will be unleashed. In the middle of this final day of God's wrath, it is a day of condemnation. It's a day when God will condemn this world. That this, they will be lifting up their fists and shaking their heads before a holy, righteous, sovereign God. And God will condemn them guilty and send his plagues. Send his judgments. Just like he did in Pharaoh's land. Now remember, there were so many times that God had patience towards Pharaoh, even though Pharaoh hardened his heart, and ultimately God would harden his heart after that. And we see that God was patient and would allow them to come to repentance. And he's allowing this to world and even allows them in the tribulation period to come to repentance. But ultimately, there comes a day when condemnation will be given. And then the day of God's wrath is completed will be a day of conclusion. This will be the final event of the age, this time period. That is, God's wrath will, will bring everything to completion, and then he will establish his earthly kingdom for a thousand years. And you know what I'm encouraged about the millennial kingdom? I'm encouraged that finally we'll have a leader who's able to lead this world. That we'll have a king, if you will, we'll have a president, we'll have a ruler, a pharaoh, if you will, whatever you want to name him. We'll finally have a sovereign king who can sit on the throne and properly order humanity on how to live in this world. He'll be able to sit there and he'll be able to judge and send out his decrees. He will be able to give the righteous laws from his land in heaven. So there will be a day when God's furious wrath will be completed. Now keep in mind, one day God's providential plan will be accomplished in the sight of every man. This will be a day. Revelation 15 is warning us and giving us an introduction that, that there will come a time when all of humanity on this side and everybody in eternity will witness this day. But now let me share with you part B or part number two. There will be a day when God's furious wrath will be completed. But secondly, from verses 2, 3, and 4, I want to share this second thought with you. There will be a day when man's victorious praise will be exalted. There will be a day when man's victorious praise will be exalted. I find it interesting that in the middle of this day of wrath, there is a day of praise. 
Doesn't that sound like a contradiction? That in the moment of wrath, you have the moment of praise. In the moment of judgment, you have the moment of song. In a moment of condemnation, you have a moment of adoration. It doesn't make sense from an earthly perspective, but it does make sense from a heavenly perspective because all of God's creation, his angelic beings, his earthly beings, the students of the Bible who understand God's word knows that this is the day that we've all been anticipating and now we can praise God because his plan is about to come to fruition. Look at verse number two. As we read verses 2, 3, and 4, keep in mind, man's victorious praise will be exalted. But look at verse 2. It says, and I saw. Now, remember, he sees these seven angels holding these seven plagues in verse 1. Now he sees something else. And it says, he see, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. Now, we often talk about the crystal sea and, we, and memorial services to, to try to kind of give our minds some sort of comfort. If somebody likes to fish, we'll say, yeah, they're probably fishing at the crystal sea. But we know that there's not actually a crystal sea there in heaven. It's a sea of glass that resembles a body of waters on this earth. And just as you go out to a body of waters and you see the reflection, we see that in heaven, it's a sea of crystal. It's not an actual sea like we think of a sea. But here it says that this sea of glass is mingled or mixed with fire. Given the idea of God's judgment is going to come. And then it goes on to say, and them that had gotten victory over the beast, that is the Antichrist, and over the image that he made, and over his mark, that, that also the false prophet will be involved in in deceiving people to receive, and his number, they're all standing on this sea of glass, having harps of God. And then the Bible says they sing a song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Now, as I shared with you earlier, as we get into verse number three, scholars add a little bit of debate. Is this, is this Exodus 15 or is this Deuteronomy 32 concerning the song of Moses? And then some people go back to Revelation 4 and 5 concerning the song of the Lamb. But what we do know is these are going to be stanzas of praises and adorations that these people are going to be giving to God. Exalt him with praise because he is the holy God. We see his holiness being revealed here in this chapter. It goes on to say the song that these saints are going to be singing. Now remember, these are the ones who had victory over the lamb. Excuse me, they had victory through the lamb over the beast and his agenda and his system. And so these are possibly the martyrs that are going to be killed in that time period. And then they might be joined by many of the other hosts of heaven that are going to be singing adoration to God. So imagine this sea or this whole piece of glass that resembles a sea and a huge host of heavenly beings those who came out of the tribulation, worshiping God. Remember back in Revelation chapter 7, we read about that huge multitude that are praising God. Here may be the same exact multitude praising God, and they're saying these words, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou king of saints. I like this word saints here. It gives us idea that these are the saints that are from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, from every age. So in other words, all the saints from all ages and nations all over the world 
are going to gather in heaven and we're going to sing these songs of praise to God. What a great day it's going to be. And so we might as well get busy now on this earth and grab our instruments and sing with him. And by the way, this, this, this harp that is mentioned here, it's not like the harp that's, uh, that, that I have. It's a, it's a different harp. In the ancient world, a harp was more or less kind of like a standard instrument like we have as a guitar. It was smaller. You could just hold it like this and you play it like this. And so it was a standard instrument that many people played. And it was also a common instrument to lead people in worship. So here they have these harps of giving to them by God. They're worshiping, singing this song. And then the second stanza, verse four, it says, who shall not fear thee, O Lord? In other words, who in their right mind would not bow before this God and fear him? In fact, the, the greatest foolish man or woman is the one who doesn't fear God. And in fact, the psalmist said, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So it says here, who shall not fear thee? This is a rhetorical question in a sense. O Lord, and glorify thy name. So who will not fear you? Who will not glorify you? It says, for thou art holy. He is the holy God. And that's why fire is mentioned here in verse two. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, our God is a consuming fire. This God is the all-consuming God of the universe. Exalt him with praise because he is the holy God. But then check it out now. Exalt him with praise because every nation will worship him as God, as we see here in this chapter. And look, it says, For all nations shall come and worship before thee. Now we know in the millennium kingdom, all the nations of the world that, that remain will gather together and worship Christ. We know that in heaven, all those from every continent of the world is going to gather together in heaven and worship him. We are all going to be worshiping Christ. So it's a good idea for us all to learn how to worship with each other now. Instead of fighting with our brothers in Africa, or instead of um, ridiculing our brothers in Asia, or our sisters in the Middle East, or our sisters in South Africa, we need to get together and we need to worship God because one day every nation, tribe, and tongue will worship him. Then the Bible goes on to say, for that judgments are made manifest. Exalt him with praise because his righteous judgments reveal he is God. Literally, this word judgments, it gives this idea of his righteous acts. That God is the one who acts justly and righteously in the world. And they will be revealed. In other words, manifested. The world will behold all of these things and see it. And man's victorious praise will be exalted. So my question for you right now is this. We know that the people of God are going to worship God then. But are you willing right now to live a lifestyle of worship today in the Roanoke Valley? Are you willing to, to lift up your song, to lift up your life as a means of adoration and worship to God? There will be a day when man's victorious praise will be exalted. There will be a day when God's furious wrath will be completed. Remember, one day God's providential plan will be accomplished in the sight of every man. But now let me draw your attention to verses 5 through 8. And I want to share with you part C of, of God's providential plan. Part number three is this. There will be a day when God's glorious power will be manifested. 
There will be a day when God's glorious power will be manifested. Look at verse 5. It says, and after that, I looked. So in other words, in verse 1, he says he looked and saw. In verse 2, he says he looked and saw. And now in verse 5, he looked and saw. So literally, John outlines this chapter for us. So we have three sections. And so now he's fixing his gaze, and he beholds this temple of the tabernacle, the testimony in heaven was open. Here's what I want to share with you. God's glorious power will be manifested in his temple and sanctuary. God's glorious power will be manifested in his temple and sanctuary. I find it interesting here that that in verse number five, it uses the word tabernacle and it uses the word testimony in context of the word temple. Because we know if we go back to the book of Exodus, they journeyed in the wilderness. They were kind of nomadic in their approach to life and they they would build these tents In other words, a tabernacle. And then they would worship God in those tabernacles. But we know that ultimately Solomon would come and Solomon would build a temple, a massive temple and structure that was concrete, that you couldn't pick it up and move it. And we know that heaven is going to be a temple that's very similar to Solomon's temple and the tabernacle of the wilderness. But then I find it interesting that it says this testimony. If you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that the testimony was often a word that was used for the law of God. It was also used for the ark of God, not not the ark that Noah built, but the other ark. That is where they would take Aaron's rod that budded, the manna that fell from heaven, and the two tablets of stone in place in that ark. And that ark was placed not just in any place of the tabernacle, but in the holiest of holies where the high priest once a year would go in and see the cloud of God's glory in that moment. I like what one commentator said. They said, the Ten Commandments were inscribed by the hand of God, but the Bible was inspired by the Spirit of God. That's good. Imagine when Moses received those two tablets, God literally wrote on there and inscribed with his finger. But then as time would go on and these these writers of scripture would write words down, God would inspire them and move them by his Holy Spirit. So now we see that God's word is going to be just a part of this place of worship in his sanctuary. And so it's interesting that as we think about this Old Testament concept of temple and tabernacle and sanctuary, we know that today as a New Testament child of God in this age, you are God's temple and I am God's temple. We are God's building. The Holy Spirit comes and tabernacles inside of us and indwells us. And now we are literally the sanctuary vessels of God. So is God's glorious power being revealed through you as a living sanctuary? As a living being manifesting his worship? But now look at verse 6, and we're going to look at part of verse 7 and look at verse 8. As we think about this thought, God's glorious power will be manifested in his angels clothed in purity. Look at verse 6. We see that John observes this temple and the tabernacle with the testimony and heaven was opened. And now he sees these seven angels come out of this temple having these seven plagues. And the Bible says they are clothed in pure and white linens. And the Bible says that they had garments that were golden upon their chest. 
In other words, this is given the idea that the, the clothing and attire that they had was royal and pure. And that's what God does when he steps into our lives. The Bible speaks about how we are a chosen and royal priesthood and generation. That is, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty of sin so that our sins could be ransomed and so that we could be rescued from a life of bondage towards sin. And he rose victoriously so that we could be made pure through the righteousness of God. And if you've never experienced that purity, listen, today is the day that you need to believe on Christ in order to receive salvation. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You can be clothed with the garments of righteousness of Christ. But if you die without those garments, my friend, you will not be able to enter heaven. So what kind of garments are you wearing today? We see that John observes all these different things. And then in verse 7, the first part, it says, and one of the four beasts that is going back to chapters four and five and around the throne of God, you had the seven torches of fire that represent the Holy Spirit. You had the, the 24 seats for the elders. And then you had four living beasts or creatures, perhaps seraphims or cherubims. And now we see one of them is giving these angels, these golden vials full of the wrath of God. And then verse 8. In fact, verse 8 reminds me of a scene in, in the days of Solomon when Solomon was praying. And the Bible says that after he prayed, the place was full of smoke, or in other words, the glory of God came and rested in that sanctuary. When Moses went on top of Mount Sinai, the place was full of smoke. In other words, the glory of God. And now look at this. It says, and the temple, that is this place that John is seeing in heaven, was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. Why will we give God glory? Because he is the omnipotent, all-powerful God. And then it says, no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. Reminds us of the Holy of Holies, how the high priest went in once a year, and now the Bible says that this place that we've been seeing so far in heaven is now closed off until the day of judgment is completed. But now I want to draw your attention back to verse 7. It says, this same God is the one who lives forever and ever. So God's glorious power is not just going to be revealed in his temple and sanctuary and in these angels that are going to be clothed with purity, but also it will be manifested in his character for all eternity. For all eternity, my friend, we will get to see the glorious, all-powerful God on his throne. One day, God's providential plan will be completed or accomplished in the sight of every man. This chapter is a chapter of wrath and worship, reminding us that when these vials are going to be poured out, it's a day when God's people will be rejoicing. Why? Why is wrath mixed with worship here in this passage? 
Well, let me just share with you why. It's going to be a day full of worship on believers' ends because we see the all-powerful God overcoming once and for all the enemy and his plan and agenda to overthrow God. He will overthrow the Antichrist. He will overthrow the false prophet. He will overthrow the image. He will overthrow the mark of the beast and the entire system of Babylon that the Bible speaks of. And he will overcome Satan himself. So why would we worship God in the middle of his wrath? Because God is the overcoming God. In fact, as I was reading and meditating this past week in Revelation 15, I couldn't help but think about a couple other chapters or a couple other verses. In fact, in Revelation chapter 21, ultimately, this scene is the introduction to remind us that the day of wrath will come to completion and then we will get to worship God for all eternity without any distractions of the flesh or Satan's temptations. But then verse, 20, verse 4 of Revelation 21 says that God, in this new place, John sees heaven. He now fixes his focus on heaven. The new heaven, he says that in this place, in this moment, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. God will, will remove death from the forefront of our beings. God will remove sorrow from our lives. He'll remove crying and he will remove pain. And then I thought about Romans chapter 8 and verse number 18. It says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. This passage would have encouraged the early church in Asia Minor receiving this circulatory letter to know that God's day of wrath will be completed. And we will get to worship him. In fact, Revelation 21.4 and Revelation 8.18 was two specific Bible verses that a modern songwriter and worship leader, Jeremy Camp, was inspired to write a song that he would call, There Will Be a Day. You see, if you don't know anything about Jeremy Camp, you know that that. He met his wife at a young age and they got married and just about a year or two after he, they were married, she passed on. And many of his early songs in, in those two year, the 2000s years were songs that, that God would use to help him through these trials. And on September 2008, There Will Be a Day was released and it remained one of the number one songs in Christian music for several weeks. But listen to the first verse. I want to read this song to you. It's powerful. It says this. I try to hold on to this world with everything I have, but I feel the weight of what it brings and the hurt that tries to grab. The many trials that seem to never end. His word declared this truth that we will enter in this rest with wonders anew. The second verse says, I know the journey seems so long. You feel you walk, you feel you're walking on your own, but there has never been a step where you've walked out all alone. The pre-chorus, or excuse me, the verse goes on to say, troubled soul, don't lose your heart. 
Because joy and peace he brings and the beauty that's in store outweighs the hurt of life's sting. The pre-chorus says, but I hold on to this hope and the promise that he brings that there will be a place with no more suffering. And then the chorus rings out, there will be a day with no more tears, no more pain and no more fears. There will be a day when the burdens of this place will be no more. We'll see Jesus face to face But until that day, we'll hold on to you always. One day, God's providential plan will be accomplished in the sight of every man. What's up, guys? Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith. Keep the faith.